We give a very warm welcome to everyone joining with us for the public worship today, both those in the building here and uh, those who are joining with us online. And uh, a particularly warm welcome to a brand new face, little Erica Anderson, uh, with us today for the very first time. Can I just say that uh, we will have a communion on the second Sunday of November, but prior to that, the Kirk session will be meeting to deal with other matters. Um, and if there is anybody who wants uh, to come to the Kirk session to apply for baptism, or indeed to sit at the Lord's table for the first time, we'd be very uh, glad to meet with you. Now let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 25, the first verse. It's page 231 on the Psalter, and it's at the beginning of the song. To thee I lift my soul, O Lord, I trust in thee, my God. Let me not be ashamed, nor foes triumph o'er me. We'll sing verses 1 to 7 of Psalm 25. To thee I lift my soul. Oh. 
Let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. Eternal God, we come before you this day. And we do realize there is only one way we can come. And that is as sinners. But the song we've just been singing speaks about my sins and faults of youth. Do thou, O Lord, forget. And we do realize that the enemy of our souls reignites memories of sins of a bygone day and tries to convince us that we cannot come before God because they are just so great. But it's not sins of a bygone day only, it's the sins of this day because we sin in thought, word and deed every single day of our lives but we are here because you are a merciful God and not only have you invited us to come you have commanded us to come unto me all ye that labour and are heavy laden and I will give you rest and we do confess that we labour under the guilt of our sins so often but may we remember to listen to your word as it tells us that God was in Christ reconciling this world unto himself. We thank you, O Lord, for the many blessings you give us day by day. We thank you for this day, the one and seven set aside for the public and the private worship of you. And we pray, O Lord, that you would bless us here and bless those who are not able to be with us but who have joined with us online. And we pray for others who could have been here, but who have chosen not to be. Please have mercy upon them. May we not listen to the enemy of our souls as he tries to keep us from the house of God. May we realize that we cannot live as islands. May we realize that we have been made in such a way that we need to interact with one another. We need to exhort one another daily. We give thanks this day for the sound of little voices in our midst. Gifts from you. Help us, we pray, to fulfill our responsibilities to them. And even as we thank you for new life, we are reminded once again that our days and years in this world are numbered and we pray for Ruth and George Urquhart and their wider family circle as they mourn the loss of Ruth's dad for many years ministered up in Gerloch a gracious man and a prayerful man and the world is poorer for his passing on into glory but we thank you for his life and we thank you for the lives of all your servants. We pray that you would help each and every one of them to this day bring honor to your, uh, to your name. We think of others who are mourning. We think of Alison McFarker, as, uh, Alison Gregor, as she mourns the loss of her sister. Be a blessing to them. We think of Donna Taylor and and the loss of our granny, we think of Ella MacDonald's family and of Gus McLean and so many. These funerals, they just keep coming. 
And every last one of them is a reminder to us that we must prepare to meet our God. O Lord, our God, please help us all to be prepared. We think of those who have bidden farewell to loved ones to the other side of the world in recent days. Others who have said farewell to loved ones as they go away to college, university or apprenticeships for the first time. O Lord our God, may we commit our loved ones to you. We all need you for time and we most certainly need you for eternity. So have mercy upon us and cause many people, O Lord, to gather in your house on this your day. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now a story for the for the children. You know, tomorrow will be the day that I enter into my thirty seventh year as minister of this congregation. And uh, when a minister becomes a minister of the congregation they have something called an induction and uh, it didn't happen in this church it happened in the old church down at Bog Allen and uh, there were three ministers in the pulpit that night and one of them uh, was the Reverend Neil Shaw who is uh, part of this congregation but because of ill health Neil Shaw hasn't been uh, able to come along to the church for some time. But it's amazing the way things work out in life's journey because the Reverend Neil Shaw is my mentor. Now you might be asking, what on earth is a mentor? A mentor is somebody who uh, tries to look after you and to make sure you're doing things right. So the Reverend Neil Shaw has a big job in his hands trying to keep me right. But uh, he was there all those years ago in the old church, in the old church in, uh, in, in, in Bog Allen. But that's not really what I was wanting to, 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 um, to, to, to speak about today so much as um, I'm going to return to the theme of the hens that I have. <laughs> because uh, I've now got eight of them. And um, got three new ones uh, for my birthday from one of my girls. And um, there is something happening, though, without hens. Most of the eggs are laying in the morning. And if we go out, we will get the eggs. But when we were away recently, we asked somebody to come along and look after our hens. And that meant that they let them out in the morning and uh, they fed them and that they were left for the rest of the day and then they would be locked up at night to prevent any foxes or anything uh, coming along to kill them. But when we came back, we discovered there were no eggs collected. And we've worked out that uh, if the eggs aren't collected quite soon after they are laying, something takes them. Now I'm not terribly sure what is taking these eggs, but I remember one day going out and whatever was taking the eggs, the egg was one of the eggs was cracked open and it had eaten some of the egg. But I must have given it a fright and off it went. But I never saw it. You know, in all the years that we've been up there, 
uh, I have once seen a fox in the garden and I've once seen a red squirrel and I have once seen a a woodpecker so there are things that are rare that have only happened once and all that, that I've seen once but our neighbour was said telling us the other day that she saw a pine marten in our garden. I haven't seen the pine marten in the garden, but she did. And it might well be that it's the pine marten that's pinching our eggs. I'm not terribly sure. But the point I want to make in this story is this. If we don't go out and collect the eggs in the morning after they're laying, we just don't get them at all. So we have an opportunity to get them. And if we don't take our opportunity, we don't get them. And you know, that is exactly the way it is with Jesus. We have opportunities in this world to ask Jesus to please forgive us our sins and be my saviour. If we don't take that opportunity, the day of opportunity will come and it will go. And so what I'm saying to young and old today is this. Whatever you do in life's journey, make sure that you use your opportunity of asking Jesus to be your saviour and asking Jesus to forgive you your sins. I hope and pray that that's true of every single one of us here today and also for all our loved ones, wherever they might be. Now let's sing again to God's praise, this time in Psalm number 2. Psalm number 2, it's found on page 200 of the Psalter, and uh, it's... um, at the beginning of the psalm. This is a psalm about people in this world who decide not to ask Jesus to be their saviour, but who rage against Jesus. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's very foolish to rage against Jesus because he's not just a human being, he's God. And you know what Jesus does when people rage against him? He laughs the laugh of ridicule. You know, sometimes we laugh because something's funny. Sometimes we laugh because things are just so ridiculous. It is so ridiculous for a human being to try to take on God. That Jesus laughs the laughter of ridicule. Why rage the heathen? And vain things, why do the people mind? Kings of the earth to set themselves and princes are combined to plot against the Lord and his anointed saying thus, let us asunder break their bands and cast their cords from us. Listen to this. He that in heaven sits shall laugh. The Lord shall scorn them all. Then shall he speak to them in wrath. In rage he vex them. We're going to sing from verse uh, 1 to verse 8 of Psalm 2. Why rage the heathen.
Now let's read God's word as we find it in the Gospel according to St. Matthew at chapter 23 and we'll read (coughs) the beginning of the chapter. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long and they love the place of honour at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you blind guides who say if anyone swears by the temple it is nothing but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say if anyone swears by the altar it is nothing but if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar he is bound by his oath. You blind men. For which is greater the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred. So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it, and whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it, and whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
For you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barachiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. And may God bless to us that reading from his word. Let's join together again in prayer. O Lord, our God, help us to listen to your word. And help us not to be hypocrites like we have just been reading it seems it is so easy to be religious on the outside and to be full of rottenness on the inside O Lord our God help us not just to be hearers of your word but to be doers of it eh, also Sometimes as we read the pages of scripture it's just so difficult to understand what is being said. But at moments like that may we not give up but may we turn heavenwards and ask you to open our eyes that we might have spiritual sight and that we might eat spiritual food that would build us up in our souls. Our prayer today is that your name would be glorified and we would uh, be edified we pray this day for those who are here with heavy hearts for whatever reason we pray especially for those whose circumstances are such that they are enveloped in darkness and cannot see a way ahead whose lives have fallen apart O Lord our God in the midst of this fallen world that we live in. May at moments like that our response be to flee to you all the more and to hide under the shadow 
of your wing. We pray once again for everyone gathered here and every family represented. O Lord our God, we are being reminded day in and day out that we are not going to be here forever. And we are being reminded day in and day out that our circumstances can change so dramatically in a moment. O Lord our God, help us to listen to you. Have mercy upon us and bless us all. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's continue to sing to God's praise in Psalm number 2. And it's at verse 9. And this song, let's remind ourselves of this. There is much raging against God and there is much raging against Jesus in this world. But uh, hundreds of years before Jesus was ever in this world, he was spoken about. And at the end of the day, God's anointed will be appointed and he will reign supreme. And you know, it's important for us to remember this. We hear so much today about God being a God of love. That is true. He is also a God of justice. He cannot abide sin. And if sin is not dealt with in Christ, it is dealt with in the individual. These are profound truths, but they are also scary truths. Let's listen to uh, verse 9. Thou shalt as with a weighty rod of iron break them all, and as a potter shared thou shalt them dash in pieces small. Now therefore, kings, be wise, be taught, ye judges of the earth. Now he's speaking to the powerful, but it's not just the powerful who need to hear this. We all need to hear this. Serve God in fear, and see that ye join trembling with your mirth. Kiss ye the Son, and Jesus is the Son. Kiss ye the Son, lest in his eye ye perish from the way. If once his wrath begin to burn, blessed all that on him stay. These verses of Psalm 2, thou shalt, as with a weighty rod of iron, break them all.
turn to the passage we've read in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23, and we'll read again at verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore something of uh, this area of Scripture. There are three things we want to explore a little today. The first is this, the selflessness of Jesus. He puts others before himself again and again and again. The second thing we want to look at is the surrender of Jesus. Because he surrendered him to something awful and dread. He surrendered himself to something awful and dreadful. Simply because he put others before himself. And the third thing we want to look at is the salvation of Jesus. And in particular in exploring the salvation of Jesus to highlight human responsibility. Now in this passage of scripture we have been reading about uh, the Pharisees and the scribes and their hypocrisy. People who were very, very religious. People who prayed a lot, people who attended the place of worship a lot, people who made life very difficult for others by saying you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to do the next thing, but who were not themselves doers of the word of God. And sadly it's very easy uh, to do something like that. But Jesus pronounces woes again and again and again upon such conduct. But there is mention made here of the Old Testament prophets being killed. And from Abel to Zechariah, and you might think, well, how does that all work? Well, in the Hebrew Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament in the Hebrew Bible is 2nd Chronicles and in chapter 24 of 2nd Chronicles you will read of the murder of this man called Zechariah. So basically Jesus is talking about everyone who has been killed from Abel to the very end of the Old Testament Zechariah. And then we move on to the words of our text. Now let's remember this that Jesus sometimes repeated things he said in different situations and in different settings. And I'm not 100% sure if this is the same time as him coming into Jerusalem for the very last time or not. But that doesn't make a great deal of difference. We know that Jesus said the same thing over and over and over again. But we do know that on the very last time he came from Jericho to Jerusalem and he came down the side of the Mount of Olives that he looked over the city of Jerusalem and he wept over it. Now here we hear the word Jerusalem repeated twice. And you think, well why did Jesus do that? And the answer, I think, is in this. 
There is pathos and there is passion in the words of Jesus. Let me give you an example of when he used it on another occasion. Martha, Martha. You know, Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and learned from Jesus. Martha was busy attending to the needs of others. Martha was being hospitable. Now, the world cannot function without Martha's. But you can be too involved in that kind of thing at the expense of nourishing your soul. And it's not as if Jesus is in a cold, calculated manner speaking to Martha. He is speaking to Martha out of deep concern and compassion. Martha, Martha. He does it on another occasion with one of the inner groups of the disciples, Peter. Simon, Simon. Because remember his name was Simon Peter. Satan not desire to have thee that he might sift thee as sweet. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And we know from the very outset with the repetition of the word Peter. That there's nothing but concern and compassion in the language of Jesus towards Peter. And that's very, very interesting. Because he knows what Peter is about to do. And what Peter was on the border of doing was unthinkable. And I want us to grasp this. That you know, you know, I don't know how it was with you today, whether you had thoughts in your mind about, I don't know if I want to go today. And if you explore why, because you take a good hard look at yourself, and you are so full of revulsion about who you are and what you are that you feel, I don't know if I can go to the house of God today. Don't think you are unique if that's your, if that has been your disposition today. The enemy of our souls uses that a great deal. You know, I was speaking. Last night to an old minister. And. Um, and we speak every Saturday night. But as a young minister. About 50 years ago. Perhaps more than 50 years ago. He was on a boat. And on the boat was also the late Alfred MacDonald. Who has just passed from this world and they began to talk and uh, this is what Mr. MacDonald said to the minister I was speaking to do you ever feel like giving up and the minister was just in the ministry and he was a bit taken aback with it and he didn't expect it <clears throat> but Mr. MacDonald was being very honest when he said because I often do and you know when I heard that story I took great encouragement from it because it's not just people in the pew who have these thoughts going through their minds it's ministers as well who have thoughts of just, just give up and, and, and primarily 
it's not because of a congregation or a community. Primarily you look within and you see the poverty and the sinfulness of your own soul and you think, I can't go on, I can't go on. But there was a minister who was preaching up until his 94th year. But he was not spared that kind of uh, experience. And I want us to remember this, that Jesus is saying to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, because he fully understands and he is full of compassion. I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. You have another case of it in scripture, that's perhaps one of the saddest areas of all in scripture. It's when Absalom is killed. And it's when David is saying, Oh, Absalom, Absalom, my son Absalom, would to God that I had died instead of thee. And here it is again, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And, and it's astonishing because it's Jerusalem that's the core of Israel. And this is the city that's about to slaughter Jesus. And Jesus knows that very well. That's what makes it all so astonishing. And you know when Jesus came down the Mount of Olives for the last time and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He has left the city of Jericho and he's climbing up to Jerusalem. And when he left Jericho there was a vast crowd that he's out in the, out in the front of. But when uh, Jerusalem hears he's coming, another crowd comes and Jesus is swallowed up by both the crowds. So essentially he's in the middle of an even greater crowd. And they're all on a high. The, the adrenaline is flowing. They're waving their palm trees, uh, branches. And they're taking their clothes and they're throwing them before the animal that Jesus is on. And they are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Now if it was you or I on the back of that animal... And we are the focus of so much attention and adulation. Do you know what we would have done? We would have drunk it all in and we would have savoured the moment. And we would have allowed our pride to have had a bellyful. We would have allowed our eagles to have had a heady. But that never happened with Jesus. Why? Because of his selflessness. Instead, he is weeping. And if you go back to the original language, it's not that a tear escapes his control now and again. He was weeping profusely. You see, he's not focused on himself. He's focused on others. That's where the selflessness of Jesus it comes in. And I think that we've got to orientate ourselves to, to, to capturing the enormity of the God that we're here today to worship. The enormity of who Jesus is. Because we can get so bogged down with our own blemishes and degeneracy and, and defilement. And I'm not minimizing it in the least, but I am putting it against the backdrop of 
who this God is. It's sinners he came to save. He is full of selflessness. But I'm moving on to my second point, and that's the surrender of Jesus. Why on earth does he come down the side of the Mount of El Olives and enter Jerusalem at all? Why doesn't he do an about turn and head back to the relative safety of Jericho? Because Jerusalem is the heartland of the religious hierarchy. It's the seat of the church of the day. And it is the church of the day that is raging against God. We've been singing about powerful people raging against God. The church hierarchy of the day's powerful people raged and raged and raged against God and his anointed. Jesus had sung this psalm before. These were the songs he sung in worship. He knew what it meant. Now some of these psalms we have difficulty understanding. But when we have difficulty understanding scripture we turn heavenwards and we ask God open our eyes that we might understand these words that you have given to him in this book of, of Revelation. He knew that there was a raging church there waiting for him in, uh, in Jerusalem. But you see, this is the Jesus who way back in the midst of eternity committed himself to doing something for a people he was going to save. And what he committed himself to doing was paying the price of sin. And that's a huge price. Because the enormity of your sins is, is mind-blowing. And the enormity of my sin is equally mind-blowing. And it can so depress the life out of us at times. But it's not greater than the compassion of Christ. And so he surrenders himself to it all he surrenders himself to entering into Jerusalem he surrenders himself to appearing before Caiaphas he surrenders himself to the ignominy of Golgotha do you remember what is said of Jesus that he could have called on seven legions of angels to come to his aid. Now a legion was 6,000. Twelve legions of angels rather. We are talking about 72,000 angels. Do you remember. Old Abraham was sitting. At the doorway of his tent one day. And three people passed by. And one seems to have been a pre-incarnation appearance of Christ. And the other two were angels. Do you remember that these angels, just two of them, came to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and wiped them off the face of the earth along with the other cities of the plain? Why do I say that? I say that because the power that is given to angels is phenomenal. If two of them can wipe cities off the face of the planet, then they are pretty powerful. So what kind of power is at the disposal of 72,000 of them? And he can call on them if he so wishes. 
but he surrenders himself. Every angel stays where it is commanded by God. They remain. Why? Because Jesus will surrender himself to everything that is necessary in order to fulfill the requirements of the salvation of any sinner that flees to, to him. He willingly, he absolutely willingly surrenders. Now we get another insight into the power not at the disposal of angels but at the power at the disposal of Christ himself in the garden of Gethsemane because you know this group comes to arrest him from the temple guard and they arrest Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. And you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, we get a deep insight into the humanity of Jesus. He is just so, so afraid of the sufferings that he hasn't yet surrendered himself to, but he knows he is just about to surrender himself to. He is so afraid that he says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. But you remember what happens to every last one of these guards. They fall flat on their faces. Now that's not right to say they fall flat on their faces, because that gives the impression that they voluntarily did something that caused them to... It wasn't like that at all. They are... They are flattened by an unseen power, by a miraculous power, by the power of the eternal God, because that's who Christ is. I know it's mind-boggling stuff, but that's the way it is. Could he have kept these men on the floor of the garden? Of the garden? Absolutely and utterly. He manifests his humanity in that garden, but he also manifests his divinity. But he lets them get up. And he lets them take him to the house of Caiaphas. And you think, why? This man doesn't need angels, powerful though they may be. This man's got the power at his disposal himself because he's the God-man. But this man has an agenda to fulfill. And so he surrenders. At every turn, he surrenders. Which leads me on to my third and final point, and that is this. Salvation. That's what it's all about. It's the salvation of souls that Jesus is captivated by. Now what is it he says in this area of scripture? Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you would not. I think I've used this illustration before. I remember as a boy going to maybe feed the hens or shut them in at night with the the terriers coming with me. 
and there would be uh, maybe a, a hen with a dozen chickens coming behind her and as soon as she would see the terrier out would go the wings and all these chickens would disappear under the wing of maternal protection you know I remember hearing the story of um, of, of, of a hen on one occasion with, with chicks under her, her wings but, but some animal had come in and had uh, killed the hen had actually taken the head of the hen but the person who found the hen was there the hen was headless but underneath her wings were all of the chicks still alive still thriving that's an illustration uh, who knows what fight that hen put up as it tried to protect but it died in the process that's a little insight into something much much more phenomenal going on this is the Jesus who scoops people up who does he scoop up and I'm back to this point because I feel I need to come back to this point he scoops up depraved sinners that's who he scoops up and he gives them eternal salvation but you know in the word of God we know that God is sovereign and that God saves but we know also that our human responsibility is highlighted and what was done was this there were those in that city who had unbelievable privileges but they dug their heels in and they said to Jesus of Nazareth no, no, no we don't want you we will not have this man to rule over us And you think, why on earth not? Why on earth not? Well, I suppose part of the answer to that is this. We've just been reading it. There were people who were religious up to the hilt. And what Jesus says of them again and again and again is this. Woe unto ye hypocrites! What was the nub of the problem? The nub of the problem was this. These people felt they were religious enough to save themselves. These people thought they had made the grade before God. These people thought that they were going to enter into the heaven on the basis of what they had earned before God. That is not the way it works. That is not the way it works. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God and if that's the case uh, what's the hope for any of us the hope for any of us is this a Christ who is full of selflessness and a Christ who is full of a willingness to surrender and a Christ who is willing to give us a salvation that is 100% gift 
But sadly we forget that so often. We forget that so, so often. But here is the great challenge of this salvation that Christ obtains. We have a responsibility to listen. We have a responsibility to accept the gift. And at the end of the day, if we will not, then the price has to be paid in the individual. And that is a fearful, fearful consideration. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And if you look at the context of that text that I've just quoted, it is a context of justice and judgment. And it is my hope and prayer that we will face up every single one of us to human responsibility and that we will bow before Christ the King who offers this great salvation and we will take with all our taking the gift of his salvation and that will not be said of us but you would not you know this city in AD 70 was completely obliterated by the Romans completely obliterated but the obliteration of the Romans in AD 70 is nothing quite like the obliteration of a soul eternally on the day of judgment kiss ye the sun embrace the sun and his salvation may that be true of each and every one of us Amen let's pray O Lord our God help us to realise how high the stakes are in this matter of our eternal destiny and our never dying souls help us to listen to you and help us to be found hiding under the shadow of your wing one and all and all we ask is in Christ's name Amen now let's conclude by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 72 Psalm number 72 it's found on page it's found on page um, <clears throat> 314 of the Psalter it's at verse 17 his name forever shall endure last like the sun it shall men shall be blessed in him and blessed all nations shall him call 17 to the end of uh, the song his name forever shall endure Man.
And now may grace, mercy and peace from Father, Son and Holy Spirit rest on and abide with each one.